This week on Access Louisville, we're going to talk about another twist in the undying saga of Top Golf, plus a slight shakeup on the U of L Board of Trustees. Sounds interesting. Stick around. Thanks for joining us. My name's David Mann, and joining me today is Brooke Timmons. Howdy. Chris Larson. Hey, hey. And Marty Finley. How's it going? On Access Louisville, we bring you the latest news and the sharpest opinions on this city we love. It's called Louisville, Kentucky. But before I do that, I'm going to start this show the way I always do, with a difficult question for our panel. Guys, this week is Burger Week in Louisville. Who has the best burger in town? Brooke. I'm going to go with Muscle and Burger Bar. Really? Muscle and Burger Okay, Bar. well, I had a second choice, which was Grind. So good. Very different product, but both are very good. So I was kind of torn. But I, I, I went in the direction of Muscle and Burger Bar. I sometimes feel like, all right, I love Muscle and Burger Bar, but I feel like maybe they're a little... But then I also added Overrated. Oscars to the list because I love the sliders Oscars at Oscars. Is great. I love Oscars. Which is done by the grind people. So. All right, Marty, who, who has the best burger in town? I like all of those. Um, I don't know if my choice would be the best in town, but um, I'm a big fan now of Chill Burger, which is over in Clarksville. So it's technically not in Louisville, but it's in the Louisville area. Dude, that's fine. Like, I consider Clarksville. Uh, Chill Burger's more area. just standard kind of burgers, but they're just really well done. And the beer's cheap, so mm-hmm. I enjoy that as well. And then I really like the the pimento cheeseburger at Troll Pub. I thought it, I think it's really uh-huh. good, and it's a little different. So yeah, no, it's Chris, cheap too. So you told me you're not a big uh, you don't eat. I'm out not. A lot. I don't eat out a lot. And we talked about uh, I think the last time I was on, we talked about like restaurants, and I was the absolute worst person to have for that section because I had <laughs> absolutely nothing to contribute. So like when I'm thinking about burgers, you guys are talking about all these great local restaurants. I'm like, yeah, I had a burger burger at like Wendy's once, and it was pretty good. But the probably the one of the few local burgers I did have was a burger from Grind. Sister yeah. in law bought that for me and it was memorable. I still remember how good that burger yeah, was. So. Yeah, they make a good burger. And their Brussels sprouts are top notch, but I'm the person who claims Brussels sprouts are great at our burger place, so you know. Um that's well, a little weird. A word on that. Yeah. Um, I don't know who to say. Um, I, I will say that we have a slideshow of Burger Week burgers on our website. Um, some of them look great. Others, I'm not gonna name any names. Goodwood, look terrible. Like they, uh, it's not. It, the burger's probably good, but the um, presentation. The presentation. Photos. I'm. Food photography is an art, guys. I mean, it really but is. But so many people know how to do it. I don't know why they couldn't just get someone who knows how to do it. To That's do true it. because it would make me like want to go and eat that burger. Any 22 year old knows how to take a picture and put it on Instagram. I don't know what this was. That's true. I feel like your your like base level should be insta worthy yeah, for anything exactly. that you submit. That's a food photo. Yeah, I mean, it's some of them look great, so I'm not insulting. But are sure like this isn't like a statement that Goodwood's trying to make. Like we have food that's actually going to taste good, even uh, though it doesn't look great on Instagram. Maybe you know? I very don't know. very. It would be a sharp critique on uh, its competitors, but I might be thinking about that just a little too much. I mean, I read the description and I was like, "That sounds delicious." Yeah. Just, I'm just gonna cover my like cover my screen with just my why hand. Why did you show it to me like that? <laughs> but didn't, we, didn't we talk about eating in the dark a few weeks ago? Yeah, that's what we need to do with that. One. But uh, 
but uh, we're gonna we're gonna move on to Top Golf. If you're a Top Golf fan, you uh, you had some bad news this week, Marty. Uh, what was the news on Top Golf? Yeah, so as we knew, the uh, Jefferson Circuit Court had ruled back in late June that uh, basically Top Golf could move forward. That the judge affirmed that Metro Council and the Planning Commission were fine in, in their ruling. Uh, to give them the uh, development plan variances, the waivers, and the rezoning, which came from Metro Council. Uh, those are two lawsuits that end up getting consolidated. Um, but they had 30, 30 days to appeal, and um, as I had said on the show before, I expected them to appeal, and they did. They uh, sent out the notice to the Kentucky Court of Appeals, which is the, the next level, the appellate level that you take that to uh, if you disagree with Jefferson On 29 and a half days. Yes. Yeah, well, you know, build, build suspense. So. I guess it's like a movie. They wanted to just keep you. It's like you, Game of Thrones, will, top, top will golf they, edition. Won't they? Yeah. I think in most cases, I think when a lawsuit was filed, it was filed toward the end of the window. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's typically, I think it gives them the, the most time to kind of build their case and uh, make sure they can afford whatever right. they're going to do with this. So, um, you know, one interesting thing here that we still don't know the answer to is. There's this new law that went into place in, I think, 2017 that, you know, you feel it's a frivolous lawsuit, you can ask the court to put a bond in place. So if the Top Golf opponents lose, they may have to pay this bond. Uh, Steve Porter actually came out yesterday, their attorney, and said, we don't have the money for that bond. Uh, so we'll say Top Golf hasn't said what they're going to do. So Top Golf could technically ask the judge to require this bond. Mm-hmm. And Steve Porter has already admitted. So that. this this law is kind of put your money where your mouth is. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's done to try to curb frivolous lawsuits. The court. It's yeah, just, because the courts are overwhelmed. Yeah, and this and was uh, introduced by a Louisville legislator who was really upset about the West End Walmart uh, situation, and which got bogged down in a lawsuit a few years ago. Um, the problem here is that Steve Porter has said, is if if you try to do the bond, he's going to sue the state saying that the bond is unconstitutional. So he would try and change that law that requires the bond. The thing that would actually, I think, just from my reading of the law, that would actually render his argument pretty strong is that due process cannot be impacted by financial barriers. So someone that's poor cannot have their due process basically stopped because they can't afford to uh, right. to file a lawsuit. So that may work in against the state if it's actually challenged in a, in directly, and it could also further hamper and delay the, the Top Golf situation. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see. It should yeah. be very interesting. Yeah. Um, do you think Top Golf is going to stick around through all this? Are they? They've like- said they've doubled down. They uh, Oxmoor's filed for their demolition permit so they can clear the land where the the Sears is. If you've driven by there lately, it looks like a prison. Um, <laughs> so they're going to get rid of that concrete <laughs> kind of cinder block looking structure and. And at least get the ground prepared. Um, you know, we're here to talk that Top Golf could probably legally go ahead and start building, but if they lose the appeal, they'd have to tear everything down that they built. So that seems like a waste of. They would have to tear it down. They huge, can't even just like leave it and that's abandon. Huge, well, I guess they could. Um, that's a huge risk to take. I don't yeah. think they'll do that. They could prepare the land, just get everything ready. Um, I mean, is it time for that guy who tweeted months ago for him to rent that flatbed truck that he said he was going to drive through the neighborhood after 9 p.m. Um, with a live band on it if they lose? Is it time for him to rent that truck? It's time to get that truck. <laughs> so, I know what got. It's going to be an interesting few months as this goes to the appellate court. And the thing is, with, when you get the court of appeals, this thing can take years. I mean, the court of appeals sometimes does not get in a hurry to rule on anything. So, and, you know, just to... Let's branch it all the way out. This could go to the Supreme Court. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. Can you imagine? 
Um, so now we need to say, is it going to take longer to build the top golf than it did to take the to build the bridge? I mean, we need to start years. these. It took four <laughs> years from start to finish on the bridge. Oh, so. Maybe we should build two top golfs, one downtown and one on the east end. <laughs> 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 you know, for our future generations to use. <laughs> Uh, do we sue too much in Louisville? I'm gonna I mean, Chris weigh in on this because you, yeah. you cover healthcare as well, and you, you cover a lot of. There's a lot of infighting in that too. So, is it just uh, is it in our, just ingrained in our culture to uh, sue every time we don't like something? Uh, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say yes because a similar issue of constitutionality and access to the courts came up on the healthcare beat. Um, you know, I think it was either early this year or sometime last year. The state legislator had passed a law that would require uh, medical malpractice lawsuits to pretty much get screened by uh, right, this council, yeah. and that got struck down by the Supreme Court on this idea that you can't infringe on someone's right to the courts. And it's actually spelled out in the state constitution that you know you can't impede someone's access to the courts. It's seen as like you know the the citizenry's the citizenry's great you know access to relief against all forms of you no know, matter bad how stuff. much we want to play golf um we gotta go, we gotta go through the legal process yeah and i mean the big takeaway not only for the medical review panels is that they were unconstitutional but it's abundantly clear that if we if there's going to be any kind of tort reform in the state that there has to be a state amendment first to let that happen mm-hmm. all right um marty so you've co- you know this attorney well that's representing uh top golf uh, you wrote a profile on him just a few months ago, and he's kind, he's kind of a he's a character, I guess, and uh, and he's uh, got a lot of people who, who like and some people like him and some people dislike him uh, because he's always at the forefront of some of these uh, uh, development lawsuits. Yeah, so I did a story. Actually, it was last year. It was I think September, so it's okay. been almost a year. Time flies. Uh, yes, this <laughs> was ahead of the the two marathon public hearings that we had at U of L mm-hmm. over at the Shelby campus on the top golf hearing, mm-hmm. we were talking about how maybe we should profile the guy that's sort of, there's a lot of, um, you know, frustration with this guy, intrigue with this guy. And a lot of people don't really know much about him outside of that. He sues a lot. Uh, what I've learned is that people that actually know Steve like him a lot. He's a really easygoing guy. He's got a really cool personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he so what you're saying is me picturing him as a cartoon villain is twisting his mustache is not the case. No, I've talked to attorneys that fought him tooth and nail in court and they love the guy. Yeah, they just they're willing to fight with him tooth and nail in court. Why does he always take up these kind of cases? Is this just he's his, very much his kind like of deal? he views the neighbors as the little man fighting you know fighting big business, big, big government, business, yeah. whatever. And he's been doing it for 50 years. Yeah, he's just been really in the last probably five years or so really in the spotlight. You know much bigger way than he has been in the past. Because the guy knows his lane. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's worked well for yeah, him. Yeah, stick with what you're good at. So. But uh, he knows that he's, you know, we we address that quite a bit in the profile that he knows he's being criticized and this kind of takes it in stride. He's like, you know, I believe in what I do and I'm not going to get distracted by criticism because most of these people, he don't think they understand the full mm-hmm. scope of what he does anyway. So. And he's, uh, just the way he presented this case, it, it he seems like an interesting guy. He said he Went to a uh, hotel near a Top Golf. Where was it? And uh, and he sat with his lights off. I think to it was see Huntsville, it Alabama. Was. And he sat there like until like four thirty in the morning. He said he could read by the lights from Top Golf. Yeah. So he knows how to make a case. He's I a mean, great storyteller. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it seems like uh, you know a lot of people take issue with him on this you know, case. We talked a lot about it because he was actually the, the lawyer at the forefront of the West End Walmart, which we mentioned earlier. Right. 
got him a lot of critique. He actually got death threats uh, during that. I don't know about Top Golf. He hasn't weighed in on that, but um, you know, he's come out and said that he's in favor of the passport plan. He thinks it's a great plan. Of course, that's sort of hitting some rocky road with mm-hmm. some of the issues with passport, which Chris could talk about a lot more. Yeah, but. and just for some background, the West West End Walmart. Uh, Basically, Walmart was looking to build a store uh, on Broadway. What was it, the 18th and Broadway? 18th, yeah, in Broadway. And uh, and he led a, a group of citizens who uh, didn't uh, want this. Did they not want the store developed, or did they just want it developed? The design in a was in they, they didn't like the, the design. The design. The desi- they wanted to build a basically a suburban store. Mm-hmm. You know, with so a parking lot out front. parking lot in the front. They wanted an urban design because it's still an urban area there at West Broadway. Right. So the parking would have been in the back. You would have the storefront right. up against... Which really worked better for And then that. Walmart eventually... Walmart was like, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah, and of course... And then retail. they pulled back. They pulled back with a lot of stores that same year. So. Yeah, retail totally changed. They know. were going to do 600 openings. They ended up doing 200. So they right. canceled 400 stores that right. year. And he argued that that's as much the reason they pulled back as, as us. I yeah, guess we'll so. never know. Yeah. But anyway, he's come out and said, I love the passport plan. It's a better plan. It's a better use. Of course, now it's, it's kind of in limbo. But mm-hmm. um, he has you know verbally supported that project yeah yeah we just had a story for for additional reading we just had a story on uh passport as well they're looking for a, a partner for that project but we won't go off on that yeah, tangent. So, uh, if you go to our website you can find that one uh to get the latest on what's going on with passport but i want to uh switch gears here and talk about uh the university of louisville they just got a uh, new chairman of their board of trustees and um this was kind of a surprise. David Grisham had been leading the board for um, how long, Chris? So since uh, really early 2017, he was in that first batch of trustees appointed by the governor after the governor had abolished and kind of reformed the U of L board over concerns of it being dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. This was all kind of in the tailspin of kind of the Ramsey era at U of L. Mm-hmm. So he was the guy that kind of took the helm between presidents the guy that stepped up to kind of be the top leader he was leading in a very tumultuous time for U of L he def- definitely was i mean just a few of the things that he oversaw was you know the you know the dismissal of you know Tom Jurich Rick Pitino um you know uh and he wasn't there before all these scandals started breaking he kind of came in the No he wasn't he came in in the midst of it and like the way that he um has kind of been kind of portrayed in other other media, not necessarily ours, is that he was the guy that they was brought into clean house, and effectively, mm-hmm. I mean, he did that. He fired two of the most prominent, you know, sports, sure. uh, you know, personalities in, in college sports over the, you know, numerous scandals I'm that had sure plagued the university at that point. That and he was kind of played out to be a boogeyman. Both he and interim, form, now former interim president uh, Greg Postel, at least in certain you know kind of sports media spheres, especially the Twitterverse, were just crucified. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they killed him. They, yeah, they I, thought, I, knew, I knew Greg Poso. I didn't know about David Grisham. Uh, both of them, they were sort of package deal, I okay. think, on Twitter <laughs> for some people. Yeah, but it, kind of getting back to your question about, like, kind of unexpected, it kind of was. I mean, I don't attend every single U of L meeting. I don't, I mean, I don't think anybody really has the capacity to do that. But when the committee meeting that was before a full board meeting last week made this announcement that, he, that we were going to have a different chairman, or we were going to see a different chairman on the U of L Board of Trustees, uh, everyone kind of looked at each other who was not a trustee like, what, did we hear that right? Is that So like all the reporters are kinda, yeah. were kind of sitting on one side of the room and immediately looked over to the PR team who was sitting there and was like, is that, is that for real? Yeah. So did they know about it, the PR team? They seem to. Yeah. I, I or were they I just like they nodding did. along like, yeah, yeah, we totally expected <laughs> I mean, that they played it super cool if, I mean, if they didn't know, but, it's you know, like, these uh, kind of things, can they, uh, 
they get figured out before, you know, you know, kind of beforehand. So, yeah. Well, um, you know, I guess, uh, you know, what was the atmosphere like? Was it, um, did you feel like a lot of people in the room, um, wanted, you, you know, to hear more about it or did, did you feel like everybody was, uh, I guess the board members specifically, did they, would they all feel like they were informed about yeah, it. Yeah, it seemed like the board board all knew about it. Uh, a couple of people who were kind of attending the meeting as members of the public, they didn't seem to really know about it. And then once we got to the full board meeting where the final vote was taken to do this, uh, you know, David Grisham took a minute to to kind of speak, and you know, he said thank you to everybody for for being collegial and and the mood was very positive. Like I was kind of expecting this to be maybe a little bit angsty because we there's a kind of a break between the meetings. But now the vibe in the room, like right then and there, was was pretty positive. Yeah, um, Twitter was celebrating though. A little yeah, bit. A, little, a little bit, just a little, a little bit. This, the same group that you know kind of vilified Grissom was very happy that I he was not chairman anymore. He's still on the board though. I want to just yes, point that fact out. Like he's still a member of the board. Twitter it, is a bastion of clear thought and honesty um, and, and no rhetoric or and positiveness and yeah. happiness. They are. There's never any hyperbole. I just. Uh, anyway, uh, so we you've been covering U uh, of L during some you know tumultuous years. Uh, I think that's the first time I've used the word tumultuous in uh, one conversation uh, twice. So um, <laughs> you've covered them uh, for for a lot of their problems. Do you get the sense that their problems are now behind them? And is Grisham kind of riding off into the sunset like John Wayne? He solved all the problems and now he's on his way out. Yeah, I don't. But he's going to stay on the board. He's going to stay on the board. I think that I mean he's effectively accomplished what he wanted to do. Like one of the big things that he said that he was at the absolute top of his list was to get a new president in place at the University of Louisville Toot Suite. So when Neely Bendapudi was announced as the new president, um, you know that was one thing that in talking to him, he was so like just ecstatic about being able to do. And just in like the, the year or so that she's been there, um, you know, that's probably, I'm gonna, I'm going to chalk up as probably his, his greatest accomplishment was landing this kind of rising star in academia mm-hmm. to come lead the University of Louisville into, into a new time and a new period. So are the problems behind them? Uh, I, I don't know, but they do have a lot of good things going for them going yeah. forward. Yeah, a lot of people seem to embrace her. Especially. I, I would say she's probably the decision that's been most universally beloved right well, I, yeah i would agree Chris with Mac that hiring, i think was was pretty, that's probably right up there pretty well received but i think there were still some people like oh he's not ready or he's not he's not but there seemed to be very little concern about neely yeah i never right. heard I feel like she's really i, I, I she's, didn't really hear any twitter outcry against her yeah, and the way she's kind of like composed herself and some of the decisions she's made i feel like everybody's really behind her mm-hmm. yeah, and last thought on the U of L thing are the problems all behind them there's a kind of a big, almost kind of sword hanging over the university right now. And it's this pending lawsuit between the University of Louisville and the University of Louisville Foundation against former president James Ramsey and other former UofL officers. Right. That's still not resolved. And, you know, it's not clear what's going to happen at that point. They're still working through the litigation process. But, I mean, unless, you know, that's settled, that could drag the university through years of, you know, litigation, of just bad-looking, you know, news as they... Mm-hmm. simultaneously try to move forward but try to fix or try to get remedies for wrongs by suing a former president you also got the pending potential recruiting violations that the NCAA has, yeah. sure. has said and they're going to handle they're yeah. just going to start handing those down I think they've said six schools they haven't said who uh L's basically said we don't think we're on that first six but I can't imagine they won't be 
named at some point. We just don't know when. Yeah. So that's there's also that hanging over. Um, you know, most people are saying fight it tooth and nail, don't do like you did before, and try to clean house. Which they pretty much cleaned house. There's really no one else to fire, but you know, just fight everything because that's what North Carolina did. Yeah, and it and worked they, for North Carolina. It, it, it a, did. It worked for them. On the wrist. So and they, and to me, I mean, not to get not to rag on UNC, but they were accused of 20 years of basically fraud, and they got right. nothing. Um, and basically, the NCAA's argument was it's so bad that we it's out of our realm of comprehension and jurisdiction. So we're just going to. So we're just going to do nothing. We're just do nothing, basically. So. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, if you're looking at that, the roadmap is just to fight it, you know, yeah. because really they, who, what else are they going to do at yeah. this point? So, All right. Any final thoughts on UofL? You know, I did a little bit of research before I came in and because um, I've been uh, looking at some of our past editions for our 35th anniversary. I don't know if you guys know that, but this is our 35th year um, oh, wow. at Business First. It is. Not mine, but as, as a publication. I've been here 35. <laughs> um, so, uh, doing a little bit of research and working with uh, Shay, our editor, to come up with a content plan for um, a little bit of a celebration later. Um, and I uh, found um, where David Grissom made the list of. Um, let's see, how did they put it? Um, the following short portraits of 25 people business first readers considered to be the most influential in the 1980s. He was um, number 11, and in the 90s, he was number 17. So spot-on predictions back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's all we have for this week. Uh, but before I sign off, I'm going to go around the room and let our uh, co-host here in, uh, tell our audience where they can find him on social media. Uh, Marty, I'll start with you. We talked about Twitter a little bit, but I'm at Bay Flew Marty. Uh, mostly tweet about Top Golf and real estate. Mm-hmm. I'm also on Facebook and on LinkedIn. Uh, I've mentioned Instagram. I'm killing that. No, I'm Marty, Marty don't. I'm already jumping. You're already walking away. You, t- already walking you posted away, so. one photo. I didn't post anything. Oh, so, you uh, posted nothing. I posted nothing. <laughs> yeah, I started an Instagram account and posted nothing to you. And you Guys, can, uh, you can get find on me board. At, it's a yeah, great it's jump in the water. It's great. Yeah, I guess I think I'm the only millennial that it only uses two social media platforms. So you can find me at BFLU, Chris, and then I'm on LinkedIn, very active on LinkedIn. So uh, Chris Larson, um, the guy that uh, is wearing a black shirt, bald, look really happy. That's probably the, probably the best descriptor of how to find me online. <laughs> Good description. Brooke. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at, at designer, And I, um, I'm trying to get better at my Twitter, but currently I'm checking it like my grandmother checks Facebook. Um, and then also uh, you can find me on Instagram where I'm most active, um, and that's at btimmons26. And you can find me on Twitter at bfludavid or on Instagram at dman3001. Also, you can get in touch with me by email if you have any suggestions for this show or for Business First in general. My email address is dman at bizjournals.com. If you haven't subscribed already, we'd love for you to do that. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google, and other podcasting services. Uh, That's it for this week. Thank you, Marty, Chris, and Brooke. And thank you guys for listening. Until next time, bye.